0: Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God given destiny through the power of His Word. Fantastic, fantastic. If you have your Bibles, Turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. We are in a series called You've Got Mail. And these are letters that Jesus has delivered. He wrote these letters and delivered them specifically to seven churches in the book of Revelation. Last week we kicked it off. We talked uh, about the church of Ephesus. And the message God was saying is return to your first love. Return to your first love. And so today I want to talk to you about this second letter we see in Revelation chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there, Revelation chapter 2. And this is a letter to the church at Smyrna. Everybody say Smyrna. 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 And the, the topic today, and in all honesty, as a pastor, just so you know, sometimes there are, there are messages that you get really excited about and you can't wait to get to church to preach them. And then there are others that you're not as excited about and you kind of go back and forth with God and you say, God, do I really have to preach this one? And uh, so th- this, this message should probably come with a warning label um, because I, I've, I've negotiated and I, I've talked to the Lord and I, I gave God my ideas. How many have some good ideas? And you just felt like if God had some of your ideas, then things would be able to work out a little differently. And so uh, I gave God some ideas and he shut them all down. And, and so the, the, the topic today, and And I say this because, you know, I want Sundays to be uplifting for people. I want people to leave encouraged. I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to leave with a heaviness on you. But I'm gonna talk to you today. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down somewhere on your tablet, on in your Bible or you know, on your phone. I'm gonna talk to you about suffering. I want to talk to you about suffering. Some of you like, oh Lord. It's not an easy topic. Um, it's a difficult, but I think it's a necessary topic. And I do need to take a, a little bit of time in the message to set some context about the, the city of Smyrna and why this message on suffering is so important. And God has, has dealt with me on this because I feel like if, if this message is absent from the body of Christ, then what we do is we create a theology of God that's not even biblical, And sometimes we set people up for failure when they're going through a season of suffering and then they begin to question God. And sometimes people have left the church and they've they've carried bitterness toward faith and they've lost hope because maybe what's been communicated from pulpits is, hey, God, God just wants you to be happy. And and if you're experiencing a problem, then you don't have enough faith. Or maybe you've got sin in your life. Or, you know, you're not where you need to be. And and people can lose hope if they're not taught proper theology on suffering. Can I have a good amen? And so this is a difficult but necessary message today. And this letter that Jesus writes and delivers to the church at Smyrna. Now, interesting things about Smyrna. Their 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 whole culture was pagan, okay? Let me tell you just a little bit of, of the, the Greek mythology that dominated that city. They worshipped a, a goddess named Sibylle, okay, and, and according to Greek mythology, she was thought to be the offspring of Zeus and, you know, okay, this it gets a little crazy, it gets a little confusing, but, but uh, thousands of years ago, there were people. This was the dominant thought in this community. This is a community that was north of Ephesus. It was a, not, a, not as big a city as Ephesus was, but a lot of interesting dynamics. And so, uh, Zeus has this offspring named Sibylle, and she is born with both male and female parts. So, Zeus wanted her to be female. So, Now, this is according to Greek mythology that people believe. Mutilated uh, half of her body so she would be female. And so the religion of the day worshipped this Greek goddess Sibylle. And the priest of this worship, because Sibylle was mutilated, they would mutilate themselves. And they would dress, these men would dress and act like women. Okay? Pagan culture, a lot of confusion. And so this community was charged with sexual perversion and violence. Okay, I want you to consider this. The two dominant influences in Smyrna at the time this letter is written is sex and violence. And it was propagated through gladiator-type events. I mean, the whole public square, whether it was public bathhouses or marketplace, stadiums, theaters, it was sex and it was violence. Okay, now if you press pause and you think about the culture of our day, what do we see in movies? What dominates the, the, what, what's propagated out of Hollywood? What do we see on TV? What do we see through social media? It is so sexual and it is so violent. Now, there were a group of Christians living in the midst of this, and if you were to stand up against the goddess of Sibylle. If you rejected sexual perversion and you didn't embrace violence, you were persecuted. And so this church in Smyrna was persecuted. They were opposed. The the result of the absence of God in culture, it lends itself to sexual perversion and violence. How many of you see where we're drifting as a nation in the absence of God? And if you're to stand up against those things, then you are antagonized and you are opposed can I tell you there are things that happen in the journey of a believer that create opposition and some of you are suffering today because of your stand for Christ. And I want you to know that that's not arbitrary, but it's very normal. And in fact, you know, sometimes in the western world, and I didn't say this in the first service, but just thinking about church dynamics and history over the years, we've gotten so comfortable here in America that a message on suffering can be very foreign to us. We think suffering is not having cell phone signal when we need it. Come on now. We think suffering is trying to get the kids to school and being stuck in traffic. These early Christians, this this was second century, but these Christians in this community, they were persecuted, public lashings. Uh, They were burned at the stake. They would uh, offer these Christians' bodies to be fed to wild animals. And to follow Jesus in Smyrna, it literally meant this taking your life into your own hands. Now, so so the Romans were very pagan, and they worshipped this goddess Sibylle, but also the Jews. They antagonized the Christians as well because they see that Christians had departed from the Jewish tradition and actually believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So together, the Romans and the Jews would partner together, and they would kill Christians in the name of this goddess Sibylle. In fact, Studies tell us that they would take wood from their own, they would tear down their own homes. These pagans would tear down their barns and their homes and use that wood as fuel for fire so they could burn believers at the stake. Uh, I thought this was noteworthy, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But there, the, the bishop of Smyrna, the, the the pastor of the church of Smyrna in 155 A.D., his name is Polycarp. Okay, how many have ever heard of Polycarp? A quick little history. Okay, Polycarp was actually burned at the stake in 155 A.D. He fled from the city, but he was tracked to his hiding place. Some say he was betrayed by another believer who was tortured to get that information. Polycarp made no attempt to flee. But when his captors came, he offered them food and drink, and he asked them for permission to pray. Then as they traveled back to the city, the Roman officer in charge urged Polycarp to recant. He said, Polycarp, swear by the genius of Caesar. Swear and I'll release you. Revile Christ and you'll go free. To which Polycarp replied, and this is his famous statement, For 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I then blaspheme my king who saved me? As Polycarp stood there tied to a stake, this is what he prayed. O Lord Almighty God, the father of your beloved son Jesus Christ, through whom we have come to know you, I thank you for counting me worthy this day to share in the cup of suffering of Jesus among the number of your martyrs. So they lit the fire with Polycarp there, tied to that stake, and he began to burn, but the wind would blow the flames away from his body until finally the guard overseeing this execution took his sword and killed him right there. This was brutal. It was blood. This was the letter that Jesus was writing to the church. I wanted you to get some context. Let me tell you this. Suffering is a part of the Christian journey. Now, we may never die as martyrs, but don't think that there isn't a canvas of suffering that God will guide us through along the way. I'm not saying suffering comes from God, but I am saying this, and this letter will show us we can discover who God is in the midst of our suffering. Look at Revelation chapter 2, starting with verse 8. This is what the scriptures say. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna, This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was once dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they're not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Now, what he was talking about, this synagogue of Satan, was the, 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 the combination of, of Roman and Jewish opposition as they would attack Christians. He said, that's the realm of the enemy. Now, now we'll begin to see a pattern, and again, this re- reflects back to last week, the letter of the church to Ephesus. We'll see a pattern in these letters moving forward. We're coming right out the gate. Jesus tells the church who he is. And then he talks about the problems they face and then he gives them the solution. How many of you know Jesus already has the answer before the problem shows up? He's got the answer. I don't know what your problem is, but the solution, he'll give you the answer before the problem ever arrives. Now, notice what he says here. I love how Jesus, now this is where it gets good. I love how Jesus identifies himself. He's not just sending a letter and it doesn't sign it. He wants you to know the author, who's pinning these words. He says, I am the first and the last. I once was dead, but I'm now alive. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, Christ knows our suffering. He knows it. He knows exactly what you're going through. Think about this. He says, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. Can I tell you this? The the, the last time I checked, the death rate still hovers at about 100%. Nobody's ever escaped it except for one man. One man went through the cross to the grave and came out on the other side alive. He says, I've got something to say about your suffering. how many think you'd listen to a man that had died and was raised from the dead? I, I think his commentary on suffering is more important than anybody else's thoughts or feelings. If you're in a situation right now where maybe you're walking through darkness, and, 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 and please hear me on this, sometimes opposition and problems and troubles and trials, those things actually validate your testimony as a Christian. Because mama used to say it like this. She'd say, son, if you haven't run into the devil, you might be running with him. Mm. You see, listen, the enemy of your soul is not going to bother you if you're not a threat to him. See, See, part of this process of following Jesus, it includes hardship. It includes difficulty. And Jesus says, hey, take it from me, the one who was once dead, but now I'm alive. The one who went through the cross and endured the torture and all the suffering and has come out on the other side with a power and a hope that's available to people like you and me. He said, I am the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, from A to Z and everything in between, God knows about your suffering. Can I have a good amen? Now, now listen, it's, it's something that we'd like to avoid but if we don't talk about these things, then when you're going through a season of struggle or suffering, you'll get confused about who God is and what you're supposed to do. And That's why I feel like it's so important for even on days like today and difficult messages like this, this may be connecting with some of you because you've been in a season of struggle and you're wondering, does anybody know? Does anybody care? Can anybody understand? How many have ever been in a difficult spot and you reached out to a friend and you tried to share it with a friend, and as you're talking to them, they're kind of smiling and nodding, but you know they don't understand. They do their best, but they haven't been through your set of circumstances. Now, they they mean well, and they want what's best for you, but they just can't identify because they've never walked in your shoes. Can I tell you, we serve a God. Well, listen to me. You will never go where he has not already been. Do you hear that? That ought to bring comfort and encouragement because your best friend may not understand, your parents may not understand, your spouse may not understand. As much as you love your kids, they just don't have the capacity to understand, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus, and he understands. He said, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I'm the first and the last. I know about your suffering. He said, I've been there, and I've done that. I thought about this, it's kind of like the difference between a travel agent and a tour guide. How many you know there's a difference? You know, a travel agent can book the details of your trip, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they've been there before. They can tell you, okay, here, well, here's the plane tickets and here's where you need to stay and we'll, we'll ordinate, coordinate all the, the information, the transfers that got you all packed up, here you go. You know, a, a travel guide will send you places but a tour guide will take you places. There is a Like, let's just say, let's say, for instance, let's say you have family in Connecticut. Anybody got family in Connecticut? Okay. Nobody? Everybody say, God bless. Connecticut. Okay. I guarantee you, they're not eating gumbo in Connecticut. Chowder, maybe, but they don't have the revelation of gumbo like we got. Let's just say your friends from Connecticut are wanting to book a trip and they want a vacation in Prairieville. Why are you hating on Prairieville? Peaville is beautiful this time of year. Come on. And all the people from Ascension Parish said. Now, look, they're in Connecticut and they're trying to figure out sites to see and places to go. A travel agent can get them to Prairieville, but guess what? They're going to need a tour guide. I can take them through Prairieville. I can show them where the Walmart is right there on old Perkins and Airline Highway. Yes, Lord. Now, I can tell them where Post Office Road is. I know about Highway 621 and Highway 42 and 933. I can take you down Tiggy DuPlessis. Joe Severio, Bobby Severio. Look, hey, p we got our own T.J. Ribs now. Come on, talk to me. What, 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 what? You want to go work out? I can take you to Anytime Fitness. where, where I mean, the, just the elite athletes work out at any time. I can tell you all the points of interest in Prairieville. Why? Because I've lived there for 18 years. I can take you up and down the streets. I know where to go because I've been there. Listen, I don't know what suffering you're currently going through, but Jesus knows where to go. He's been there. He's not just sending you to a place that he can't explain or understand. If a guy has, has suffered and bled, been buried and dead, and then three days later, he's raised to life again, I think he knows something about our suffering. I love, and this is so poetic, I love the language that the New King James puts to Isaiah 53. This is the, the entire chapter is about our suffering Savior. Scripture says he's despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned into his own way, and the Lord God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You will never go where God has not already been. Smyrna. Consider this: the very name Smyrna. It's the same word that we get for myrrh. Myrrh. Remember gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh was uh, actually created through—you'd crush a fragrant plant. It was, and through the results of that crushing they would use myrrh for two specific things. Myrrh was used to embalm bodies. When someone passed away, they would take myrrh and use it to prepare the body for burial. But myrrh was also used in the temple for worship. It was a sweet-smelling aroma that was offered up to God. Here's the lesson behind it. What feels like death in the natural is actually a fragrant aroma of worship in the spirit realm. Your suffering is not without redemption. It's not without purpose. God always puts a purpose to the pain that we go through. And maybe some of you are here today and you're trying to understand the why behind the what. It feels like death. Maybe death in a marriage, death in a relationship. Maybe you're struck death in a dream that you've carried or something with one of your children. Maybe it's sickness in your body and you feel like you're under this umbrella of suffering. What looks like death in the natural, God says, oh, I smell something. There's an aroma, if you'll suffer unto the Lord, God says, I can redeem that. Are you with me today? If you're suffering without succeeding, listen to this. If you're suffering without succeeding, someone else will. If you're succeeding without suffering, someone else already did. We say that again. I want you to think now. Think, think, think. Put on your thinking cap. There's a combination, a correlation between suffering and success. If you're suffering today but you're not seeing any success, somebody else will succeed. Your kids will succeed because of your suffering. The, the, that circle of influence, those people that you are leading and mentoring and discipling, your suffering will produce success in those who are coming after you. But maybe you're succeeding today and suffering is far away from you. I want to tell you this. Somebody else already suffered for you. You didn't get there on your own. The sacrifice of some, somebody paid the price for the success that you're enjoying. Are you with me today? This is so important. Let's move on. Look at, look at the next verse. Verse 10. Jesus says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Now, it, it, this is almost a guarantee. He's saying, if you're not suffering now, you're about to. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Yeah, we receive encouragement today. Thank you, God. He says, don't be afraid. Suffering's on its way, but don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 12, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer, persecution." There's a guarantee. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer for 10 days. Everybody say 10 days. Now, I want you to underline that phrase in your Bible because some scholars believe that that 10 days is referring to 10 different seasons of persecution in the church under Roman power as it relates to dispensations. Again, this is the second letter out of seven, and so this is the second century dispensations of suffering throughout church history. Some scholars think that 10 days represent 10 stages of suffering, but other scholars think that this is a reference to the book of Daniel. Remember in Daniel chapter 1, when, when Daniel and those three Hebrew boys were in Babylon, the Bible says that everybody was eaten from the king's table, but Daniel purposed in his heart. He was not going to defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, but he said, give us 10 days. Test us for 10 days. Come on, are you with me? In other words, if you'll stand for purity and righteousness during the time of adversity, that 10 day period, it'll be short lived. Here's what I want you to see. The second thought is this number two, all suffering is temporary for the believer. Notice I said for the believer. All suffering is temporary for the believer. Here's the interesting thing about suffering. When you're going through a season of difficulty, doesn't it feel like it's going to last forever? You see, that's where the devil pulls hope outside of men and women. I mean, just drains us of any hope or or, or strength or possibility of a different outcome. Because when you're in a season of sorrow and suffering, you think it's going to last forever. But the scripture says it's not going to last forever. Let me put it this way. Don't you know there's a difference between a week of work and a week of vacation? But guess what? It's still a week. Right? Seven days of work feel very different than seven days of vacation. Come on. Monday morning rolls around, and how many of you got that Monday morning blues? <laughs> Just get me through this week. And it takes forever. Listen, when you're suffering, it feels like everything slows down. Oh, gosh. And then, man, Wednesday rolls around. And what is that? That's hump day. Oh, I got to just get through this week. If I could. Lord, have mercy. This thing will never end. A week of work feels very different than a week of vacation. But how many you know when you're going on vacation... Man, you're just all excited, and you're packing up, and, man, you got all your stuff, and you get your car, and you're just rolling, and, then you get in, and you're getting settled, whether you're going to the beach, you're going to the mountains, going to the lake, going to the camp. Man, you're just excited, and seven days of vacation goes like that, and then at the end of the week, you're like, (laughs) (laughs) baby, just give me a moment. Lord. And you're thinking, how can I extend this? What can we do? And, you know, the kids are all upset, and you're, like, grieving. You're packing your clothes, and you're driving home. You're thinking, man, where did the time? We just got here. Listen, when you're on the mountaintop, time, it just rolls. But when you're in the valley, time stands still. Can I tell you this? He's the God of the hills, and he's the God of the valleys. He's the Lord over it all. He says, look, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I mean, some of you, the devil's coming after you, and you're going to be suffering for 10 days. Listen, your suffering is limited. God puts a time limit on all suffering. To the believer, I want you to consider this. To the believer, all suffering is temporary. But to the heathen, all pleasure is temporary. See, some people having a good time now have no concern for God whatsoever. There's coming a time when that is going to end. You see, for us as Christians, the suffering we have here on this earth is the closest to hell we'll ever experience. But for the unbeliever, all the pleasure they have on earth is the closest to heaven they'll ever experience. God wants you to know there's something on the other side of this season. Everybody say season. It's only a season. It's not going to last forever. Come on, turn your name and say, it's not always going to be like this. You may be in your 10 days that feel like 10 years. You're like, God, this season will never end. God's saying it's temporary. It's temporary. I, I know you're counting the days, but I want you to make the days count. Maybe if you're in darkness right now, hear me, church. This is important that you catch this. Because you can't always choose your suffering, but you can choose your spirit in your suffering. I can't always control what's going to happen around me, but I can make a decision of what's going to happen in me. He's writing this letter and saying, for 10 days, the enemy's coming after you. You know that word suffering there in the Greek? It literally means this, being tied down and slowly crushed so, see that when you're in suffering it slows down being tied down and slowly crushed under the increasing heavy weight of pressure everybody say pressure, pressure. some of you feel like there's just pressure on well I feel, I feel the Holy Ghost right now I'm talking to somebody because you've told somebody just this week I feel like I'm under so much pressure Some of you have had difficulty. I feel a word of knowledge right now. Some of you have had difficulty breathing. You've had shortness of breath because you're feeling pressure. You've had anxiety, and maybe you've taken some anxiety medicine, and it's not gotten any better, and you've sought the help of doctors and friends, and this heaviness is about to suck the life right out of you. You're feeling pressure. God says, uh, uh, here's here's the thought that I had, and the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night for this. You know, if you take a garden hose and you're trying to wash your car, You got a little trickle of water coming out the garden hose. But if you were to take your thumb on the end of that hose and put a little pressure on it, what happens to the water coming out of the hose? It goes higher and farther than it could on its own. And I feel God say, some of you, I'm just going to place my thumb right in the middle of this. And I know you feel like you're going to be crushed under the weight, but I'm going to use this season of sorrow to the trajectory of your life to propel you higher and farther than you could on your own. Can I have a good amen? Ten days, he says, ten days. You can't choose your suffering, but you can choose your spirit in your suffering. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we are pressed. Come on, somebody say pressed. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. God has something for you. Let let, let me finish this, and I want to ask the keys to come out, and I'm going to pray for you here. Look at what he says in verse 10, the last half of this. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you what? Mm, come on hum at me this morning Mm. there's a crown on the other side of this see the devil doesn't want you to see what's on the other side God knows what's on the other side of suffering the devil only wants you to see the starting line God's trying to help you see the finish line he says, if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I'll give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. For whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Here's what I want you to leave with today. I don't know how many times we preach on suffering or how many moments you've heard a, a message like this. But I think this is, this is right now for some people. This is a, a, a now word for you. God uses suffering to produce something of worth in us. He uses suffering to produce something of value. You say, Mike, where is God? I feel like God has abandoned me. No, no, no. God uses suffering not to abandon us, but to develop us. God isn't the source of our suffering. He's the source in our suffering. This didn't come from God. God's allowed certain things to the church at Smyrna. I mean, they they were fed to lions. They were burned at the stake. They were tortured. And God said, if you'll suffer well, there's something on the other side. Something on the other side of this. Listen, we've got to get an eternal perspective when it comes to suffering. You know, yesterday afternoon, I, I told you about the funeral that we hosted. And many of you know Steve Ware. Steve, uh, he was our kids' pastor for a number of years. Steve and Gayla, just precious. I mean, sons and daughters of this house. Uh, Rachel and I met Gayla when she was 15 years old. Student at Parkview. She had just lost her dad. Started coming to the youth group, and, and I feel like God put us in, in Gayla's life almost as spiritual parents, just to love her and watch her grow up. And, you know, she, she and Steve got married, which was a miracle in and of itself. Steve loved that girl. I mean, chased her for years. I said, Steve, you don't have a chance, man. She is way out of your league. And when they got married, all the single guys in the church felt hope coming to them. Because <laughs> if he could end up with a girl like that, then God, maybe you got something for me. Steve just full of life. I mean, so much fun. He did a number of things here at the church, worked in college ministry. He was one of our, our campus pastors at our video campus, but he served the longest stint in kids' ministry. And they would, I mean, he's, he's just a kid's magnet. Uh, children drawn to him, so much fun. Our middle daughter, Michaela, gave her life to Christ at a kids' camp that Steve and Gayla put on. Just sowed so many good seeds, planted so many great things. And. You know, for two hours yesterday afternoon, from this stage, and even Gala stood up here under such strength and grace. Listen, she'd suffered walking through a, 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 a path of pain, just holding on, believing for Steve's healing. She stood up here yesterday, talk about learning how to suffer well, with such grace and with a touch of God on her life. as she honored her husband. And spoke to her kids it was remarkable and steve had come to me about a year ago and he sat down with me he said mike don't tell Gayla that we're having this meeting but he said i planned out my funeral and here's how i want it to look i'm like steve come on okay we'll go over it but i'm never going to have to use this because god's going to heal you steve had battled cancer in two years just had a, a, a courageous but a very difficult battle with cancer so in, in the things, all the songs planned out and the scriptures he wanted and, you know, the, the different video components. And, and he, he said in, in these arrangements, he said, I want you to preach my funeral from my Bible. And he, here's what he said. He said, start wherever you want to and go wherever the Lord leads. And so I got his Bible from Gala this week. Stephen passed away on Wednesday and uh, he went to go be with Jesus. Sometimes God will take sickness from your body. Sometimes he'll take your body from sickness. And as we gathered on the sixth floor in that room, 6009 stood around that bed. And we just sang Amazing Grace. And we just offered up worship to the Lord. He saw our suffering. He saw Steve's suffering. Steve breathed his last Wednesday morning, a Wednesday afternoon about 1.30. So I went back to those notes wanted me to preach his funeral from his Bible. So I took his Bible, big old thick study Bible, opened it up in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 18. In verse 24, I saw he had underlined verse 24. The Bible says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he wrote in all caps, the name of Jesus. You back up to verse 22, and I saw that verse, he had it underlined. It says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. He put his wife's name, Gala, all caps, exclamation point. God, Gala. Okay, let me look at the rest of this chapter. Verse 10, he had that verse underlined. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. Beside that, he wrote the name Dale Earnhardt. Well, I guess I know what his priorities are God, Gala, and NASCAR. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Heard so many friends sharing stories about how their life had been impacted by Steve. And you know what was unique about this? Two videos were played of Steve preaching the gospel, he preached his own funeral. One of those videos was a 10-minute clip of him standing on this stage back in 2012, and he preached to VBS, hundreds of kids, and he preached John 3:16. And there he was just in perfect health. And, man, just uh, you could see the life in him, the passion that he had for those kids, kids getting saved. Back in 2012, 10 minutes, the gospel went forth. They also showed a second video. It was a video that was taken weeks before he passed away. Sitting in a chair, didn't have much strength. His body was just eat up with sickness. His voice was raspy because cancer. had just, I mean, his lungs, it was, it was everywhere. And you know what he said? In that video, he said, Faith is not an outcome. Faith is an outlook. And I thought about those two videos, the picture of perfect health and the other picture of a body that had been racked by pain and suffering. And guess what? He was declaring the goodness of God in both. When Steve breathed his last, guess who was waiting on him? Jesus. And what did he have with him? He had a crown of life. You see, Jesus endured a crown of thorns so that one day you and I could wear a crown. Are you suffering today? Jesus knows. Are you suffering in a difficult, dark season? It's not going to last forever. But I want you to know there's purpose behind your pain. God can redeem all of it. Do you receive that today? Come on, put your hands together if you receive that. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org. Or give us a call at 225-753-2273.